we think diversity is important because the ideas that come from those diverse voices are going to be more powerful and more broad. And we think in the end, our customers uh, are going to relate to us better if we bring a diverse workforce. Hi, and welcome to the North Edge podcast, Beyond the Capital. I'm Lucy Mills, partner responsible for value creation and ESG, and your host for this series. At North Edge, building better businesses isn't just about providing capital. It's about building open and honest relationships, creating responsible businesses, driving value through collaboration, engagement and partnership, and providing ongoing support. But we wouldn't be able to achieve any of that without the great people we have in our business, our portfolio and our network. And in this series, we'll be speaking to those people to find out more about their stories, their experiences, and how they have worked to build better businesses. Today, we're joined by Christopher, CEO at ICP. So welcome, Christopher, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, As is tradition on the podcast, the first question that we always ask is for a little potted history on, on you. Tell me about your background and how you got into the role that you're in today. I will try to be quick, um, but it's an, it's an interesting story. I didn't start this way. I started in retail right out of college, but really what that did was establish a background and a passion and a desire to be in management and build teams. And so I worked for The Gap, folded t-shirts, and then built stores and built teams. And I would go around the country and open stores and put teams together as Gap and Banana Republic and other, other divisions were, were expanding. And I just loved building Mm-hmm. and creating uh, cultures and new markets for them and things like that. But I grew up in LA and I um, I was in the entertainment uh, sphere yeah. in, in Southern California. My, my parents were in the entertainment industry and I always had a creative kind of itch. So I decided to then take that and move into production management, take my management experience and move into production management. Went mm-hmm. to work for Fox Television, got into the Directors Guild of America and started producing TV shows. Um, and that was fabulous and fascinating and wonderful for me until um, shows kept getting canceled and I kept looking for new gigs and the um, I wanted something a little more stable mm-hmm. and a little more um, secure. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a real big risk taker. And so I found perfect um, uh, hybrid. I went to work for Warner Brothers uh, so I could stay in the entertainment industry. And I went to work for a group that needed um, uh, some of that uh, management and operational muscle Mm -hmm. and it was all around taking the company's assets uh, at the time their physical assets and making them work for for the organization so publicity materials marketing materials how do we take those things physical assets you know the batmobiles and Mm -hmm. harry potter's wand at the time and how do we take those things and enable consumer products and sales and marketing to to leverage assets for for to meet their different objectives and that suddenly um, turned into, at the time, this was 20 plus years ago, we need to digitize this capability. We need this content to be available broader. And there was technology out there to start to actually digitize the assets mm-hmm. and make them work even more effectively. And I found interest in that. So I started to look into technology and look into ways to digitize assets and create basically um, a digital asset management ecosystem for marketing and publicity assets, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. So I built an internal team mm-hmm. where we were ensuring and enabling uh, those assets to, to work globally for Warner Brothers. Um, stayed within the Time Warner family. If you're not familiar, that's HBO and Turner, which is Cartoon Network and, and Warner Brothers, but I moved around with, within those divisions, really just continuing to 
build technology solutions, mm -hmm. not from a technical standpoint, but from an operational and business standpoint mm -hmm. to enable the, the leveraging of the company's marketing assets and started to hone in more on marketing assets, less on the physical props and costumes and things like that. And, um, and ended up launching and building and deploying the first uh, enterprise digital asset management uh, system in the entertainment industry, again, 20 years ago. And, um, and then uh, after a 17-year uh, run at, uh, within Time Warner, uh, I got an opportunity to go out and, um, and uh, well, I got offered a two-year paid vacation as part of a reorg. And I thought, <laughs> you know what, I will never leave if I don't leave now. So yeah. let me go take that opportunity and kind of go out on my own and do this on my own. And um, quickly uh, realized I missed being part of a team. Mm -hmm. You know, I was having success as an individual consultant. I missed being part of a team and managing and building um, uh, something with other people. And uh, I found this company, ICP, and they were just dipping their toes into this uh, area. They had 40 or so people in in the UK mm -hmm. and wanted to establish a US business, met the folks and, and basically said, wow, what I built internally at Time Warner and it, inside uh, those different um, business units of Time Warner, I could build externally and provide that service to companies like this. Um, so joined ICP and, uh, and here we are today. We can talk more about ICP in a bit if you like. Amazing. Quite some names there that you've uh, name dropped in that intro, which I like. So here we are in slightly cloudy London um, today, and you've kind of ended up here at, at ICP. And like you say, we'll touch on that later. What is the thing that's motivated you and inspired you the most throughout your career? You've kind of continuously moved, continuously looked for new and interesting things, continuously learned. What What do you think it is that's kind of motivated you to to do that over? The last twenty or so years. Well, I touched on it. It's, it's building teams and people. I I thrive on surrounding myself uh, with smart people mm -hmm. that can achieve results that kind of can can create an impact on a, on a business. And I um, have never been smart enough to do some of that on my own, but I've been smart enough to know the people around me that I need to have a vision for what whatever mm -hmm. that objective was, and so. What's motivated me the most is managing and leading mm. and really being able to do that, fortunately, in a space that we pioneered yep. many years ago, as I mentioned, at, at inside of Time Warner and something that now today has, and we'll talk more about that again in terms of what ICP does, um, but that has a, has a real value across any industry uh, and anybody that's got content that needs to flow through its ecosystem. But it's, it's the people. Yeah. And so, I guess in that context, what what would you say is your proudest moment in your career that you've you've had so far, and why? So, not to contradict myself, <laughs> but it, it's funny we received a patent at Warner Brothers for standing up that system. You have several U.S. patents, mm -hmm. uh, and getting named uh, and and being part of the team that invented the first enterprise digital asset management system is probably my proudest moment. Um, but I think I get proud moments all the time when I have ex-colleagues that I've worked with, whether they were my peer, my they could have been my supervisor, line manager, as we call it here in the UK, um, or, or people that worked with me and, and reported up to me. 
um, when I find them achieving things in their personal and in their professional life, those those are the moments that make me proud day to day. Yeah. And I guess just before we move on from kind of you and your kind of background and career experience a little bit, what would you say the the biggest lesson is that you've learned from all the roles that you've had, all the people that you've worked with that that you still kind of think about today? Yeah, well, I think about it more today than ever because uh, it's taken me a long time to learn this. Uh, and that is that um, there is no place for ego and that humility and vulnerability and surrounding yourself with people smarter than you is really the way to achieve success. And it's, it, again, it's taken me me time. There was a point in my career where I thought I was the smartest one in the room and I needed to be the smartest one in the room. But today, uh, that is clearly the lesson and the thing I, I think about more than anything is how do I be the right person in the room, not the smartest. Yeah. And I guess that that's really important when we come on to kind of the, the culture and, and the kind of ethos of ICP. Before we go on to that bit because I think we'll, we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about that just on ICP itself so you've talked about digital asset management that's kind of how you got into the world of, of ICP started kind of setting up the US arm and, and are now chief exec today just kind of talk us through how, how did that happen how did you go from kind of setting up the US uh, division to being CEO and what does ICP do what is digital asset management for us lay people listening today yeah so I guess let me start with the the second part of that question so ICP um, is a company that's 35 years old and it's got its start in adapting and versioning and transcreating content for multi-channel and multi-region and, and, and territory. So take the big ad agency concept, right? The Geico Gecko, mm-hmm. if you have that here in the UK, the little lizard for, for Geico, or um, any kind of brand uh, strategy that gets created from the big agency and take that ad and make it work on multi-channel. So how do you take that and make it work in another region? How do you make it work on another, you know, on a mobile or on a web platform or on a digital billboard? And ICP, that's all that they did for the first 20 plus years of its existence was adapting version content. Mm-hmm. Um, take the newspaper ad and make it work on a billboard back when they started, right? And so over time, ICP was asked by their clients, hey, you understand our content so well, can you help us manage it, manage it and distribute it and leverage technology to optimize that process, get that content that's now been adapted mm-hmm. out to those regions, out to those channels. And ICP was just dipping their toes into that when, um, when I met them mm-hmm. uh, and, and moving away from being a business that was 90% adaptation and versioning what we call production and moving towards marketing and content operations and content technology. Mm-hmm. So we had built all that capability inside of, of Time Warner, as I said. Um, how did I come to ICP? I met them at a conference, a couple of the folks that were in the U.S. exploring opportunity um, for business development. And I realized that there were any companies out there, and this isn't long, that's six years ago only, that were focused on that and really understood as well as I thought we did internally uh, where I'd come from, how to offer that support and the strategy around that for big global mm-hmm. multi-brand companies and ICP, you know, our clients are Coca-Cola, um, they are Mars, they're Wrigley, they're Procter & Gamble, they're Unilever, um, Volvo, we go across industry, but they're the biggest brands in the world that really have a, that have the most need and get the most value out of this kind of strategy. 
So what does ICP do now? And, and, and how does this, how did this all intersect? I saw that opportunity, mm-hmm. but wow, if we could focus on that and supporting our brands in what we're calling the frictionless world of content, get the content from where it's created all the way through the channels it needs to appear on. And then in turn, give some insights and, and, and data back to how that content's performing. If, if that solution through the uh, an operational lens, a technology lens, a process lens, um, could be offered by an expert mm-hmm. that understands best practices, that understands how to bring cross industry knowledge, um, that we could, we could, we could build a business around that. So, um, started talking to some of the, the, the folks I met at, uh, at this conference mm-hmm. in the States and said, I think I can build a business out of this in the U S uh, they, they listened, believed, uh, I, um, I, I, I calmed them into it. I don't know what it, what it, <laughs> what it is, but at the end of the day, um, they took a chance on me and I took a chance on ICP and we, we started the U S business. And then about two, uh, two and a half years ago, I was asked to, um, to run the global company and take over the chief exec role of the global business. And that kind of brings us back up to date from a, an ICP perspective, but I know you are, you're not done. We were just talking about the kind of really exciting plans for ICP moving forwards. What does that look like? So what are the things over the next 12 months that you in, in your role and your senior team are really focused on? Yeah, so it's everything we do, but it's at scale and with new technologies that are, you know, if we, if you're not talking about AI today, you're not in any conversation in many spaces, especially ours. So what's coming up is figuring out um, how to teach our clients how to leverage AI, mm-hmm. what it's good for, what it should be used for, what it shouldn't be used for. I think, you know, every CEO is sitting around the, uh, the boardroom today asking their teams, how are we using AI? We should be using AI. Where's the AI? Where's the AI? And at some point that's right. And at some point that's, it's not ready. Yeah. And I think determining and helping our clients figure out and our partners figure out where AI can be leveraged today mm-hmm. and tomorrow and where it shouldn't be and when that will be ready is, is, is something on our mind and mm-hmm. we'll play a big role in that. Um, and that has to do with generative AI that's creating new content. It has to do with AI that streamlines and automates tagging and, and image identification, and then AI that can um, create insights and, and give you insights on, on content performance. Mm-hmm. So all those things can be automated and we'll be helping our clients uh, along that journey in the next several years, over the next several years. The other place I think for sure is, is really understanding, um, like I said, scale, how, how you scale. There's what AI will also do is will, it will create more and more content and that content needs to be managed and there's rights management and IP issues around that. There is um, just the pure volume, managing pure volume of that. There is really understanding that the brand, um, the brand protection mm. element is there, mm. right? We want to make sure as content's being created, whether it's automated or in a more traditional way, that it's on brand and the mm-hmm. brand integrity is there. So all of those things are on our radar now, as well as performance, uh, um, we'll call it content performance measurement mm-hmm. and really understanding what's performing, where it's performing, how it's performing. And lastly, the digital shelf, how we optimize the digital shelf uh, experience for our brand's clients. So really quickly on that, you know, the digital, you hear digital shelf and you think about 
e-commerce and you think about Amazon, mm -hmm. it's not just Amazon for entertainment clients. That's their streaming platform. When you go to Netflix and you flip through all the content, what do I want to watch? And give me a synopsis of the show. And, you know, if I like that, I'd like something else. That's Netflix digital shelf. Mm -hmm. In automotive, it's the dealer networks. They have their websites where people are buying cars online now. They're not going into the showroom anymore. That's their digital shelf. We can go down the list of industries, but the optimization of that, so the right content's up there, the right information's up there, um, it's personalized, and that again, um, it can quickly be changed out if content's not performing or if updates need to happen. Mm -hmm. The optimization of the digital shelf is something uh, top of mind first, and we're supporting our clients in today and will continue. And I guess another thing we talk about in the context of ICP and it's focus areas really is all the stuff that you guys do around people so from a customer perspective I think that's that's hugely exciting the massive market opportunity the the brands that you've listed there are, are you know genuinely the top level brands but you can't do it without the people in the business right so um really interested to get your perspective given ICP is a truly global business with multiple offices and maybe you can you can share where some of those are I guess one of the big things that we've been you know really impressed with and know it continues to be a, a focus area for the business is how do you unify everybody in a global business working with the top global brands around a core purpose culture commonality approach um to enable you to deliver all those hugely exciting projects for those massive brands that you've just talked about. So what are some of the things maybe that other people who have now got increasingly remote workforces, maybe slightly less global than ICPs, what are some of the things that you've found work really well, haven't worked so well, and, and what are the things that you are going to be concentrating on in that space in the next 12 months yeah i i want to just make sure we emphasize because I, I don't know if i i was clear about this we don't create our own tech at all so we are truly a people business all we do is provide uh people knowledgeable people SMEs, consultants uh services people production people that that actually use the best of breed out there in the world so we are completely a people business. So I just want to emphasize the importance mm. of what you just asked me in our business. Mm. Um, that's all we have mm. for our people. Um, and yes, we have offices uh, in Shanghai, Mumbai, uh, Atlanta, uh, here in London, of course, and then in Mexico City. We have people scattered around very much a, 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 um, a distributed global workforce in those areas. Yeah. But, um, but those are the key the key hubs for us. And I think, you know, one of the things we've done is we've structured the company in a way through our solutions and services structure where no matter where you sit uh, geographically and because our brands are global, you're part of a community mm -hmm. or of a part of the business that has reached into other or interacts with, with the other regions. So I'll give you an example um, for a company like um, Unilever. We will support the global brand teams, but we'll support that with people from Shanghai to Mumbai to London to Atlanta. And they're all part of the same team doing 24-5 coverage as the sun moves across the world. Mm -hmm. And they're all having to interact. So just making sure for us, making sure that there's touch points for those groups to interact kind of creates um, 
a, I'm trying not to use the word synergy, but it creates a common cultural kind of bond. We also are very respectful of diversity and that we know that people in Mumbai work differently than people in Shanghai versus people in the States or people in the UK or Mexico and go across, across the hub. So we try to establish principles mm -hmm. that can go across, but we don't try to force or create cultural norms because there aren't cultural norms. They're very different in those different regions and they're different with people within those regions. Um, and, and in a time where, you know, uh, over the last three years, the world has been incredibly disruptive when it comes to how we work. Everybody's life has changed differently. There are people that, you know, their work-life balance or their requirements or their obligations at home are very different. You could be, you could have five people sitting in London and somebody's childcare situation has changed over the last three years and requires that person to work a little differently than the person sitting right next to mm -hmm. them. So we're trying to be flexible and understanding of that but also, again, have those principles that carry through. Mm -hmm. And those principles are around transparency, they are around collaboration, and they are around also giving people a voice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, we believe we can only react and create a, a, a work environment, I'm not using the word culture, um, but create a work environment if it's driven by what our people are telling us are important to them. Mm -hmm. So we um, encourage uh, voice and and lastly, we have a fairly flat structure. Um, I you know we we obviously have a leadership team, an executive leadership team, and we have global leads of different parts of the business. But we don't believe, and you and I have been talking about this just mm -hmm. this morning. You know, we believe in influence without authority. We don't believe in a bunch of of, of layers of management and kind of authority that push things down. Mm -hmm. We believe in encouraging people and bringing them in and letting them influence, even if they don't have that technical authority on an org chart or piece of paper. And we mm -hmm. don't like to share org charts mm -hmm. very much. Um, somebody said to me once, well, that's because you're the CEO. Um, it does, <laughs> does matter to me. And and what I say is, look, all, all I think is important is what you're accountable for mm -hmm. and who do you go to for support. And if those two boxes are ticked, it doesn't matter where we sit on an org chart. We try to and you mentioned diversity there, and I know that that's something that's super important to you in this business, and you do lots in that space. What, why is it so important to ICP that the team is diverse? What does it bring to your business? Well, I just mentioned it brings a bunch of voices. If you, if you have diverse opinions and you have diverse voices and you get inputs from all kinds of different, again, uh, geographical uh, um, voices. It could be they could be cultural. They can, all of that create that. If you think about who our customers are and who our customers' customers are, our clients' customers, all of those opinions collectively are going to create a better result than having a more segmented view. Um, so we think diversity is important because it gives us the most input. It gives us the most data. It gives us the most well-rounded view yeah. of how people want to work. And the ideas that come from those diverse uh, um, voices are going to be more powerful and more broad. And we think in the end, our customers uh, are going to relate to us better if we bring a diverse workforce. Yeah, and ultimately, I guess, goes to, to value in every sense of the word because you are creating more value for your customers, you are creating more value for the team, and, and actually then kind of 
as ICP as a business, it becomes a, a much more valuable entity as, as a result of focusing on those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And then, and then obviously we can hopefully attract better talent because this is a place they want to work. I also don't believe that DEI and B, we, we, we use the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging mm -hmm. acronym. I, I don't believe that that's something that you do. Mm. And I, I preach that to the team. That's something we just are. We don't go out and tell people we're going to do diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging activities. We want to just be a culture where people show up here and they go, wow, I'm listened to, I'm respected, uh, I'm heard, I have that voice. Mm. And and I think one of the things that we've done really well is have, you know, we do things within tech. We participate in community things. We have, we bring in speakers to talk about sensitive areas or topical areas, whether it has to be with, um, you know, um, uh, gender equality. Um, we try to be transparent about okay. all of those things. But at the end of the day, really the culture around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging comes from how we show up every day, not because of the number of events we had or the what we sponsor out in the community, or even that we just look and we start to look at metrics on our our workforce, we just show up and do the mm. right thing every day. Mm. And then we just are doing those things. It's not something that, that, that the result will just come from that. Yeah. I think we do a really good job of that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm sure your, your, your customers also feel the same as a result. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a gear shift now and go from people to private equity, which maybe isn't two things that normally get spoken about in uh, in the same sentence, um, unless you talk about North Edge. Uh, Obviously, so um, just give give me a bit of a rundown, kind of from your perspective. So, as you kind of led the MBO um, a, co a couple of years ago, I know you met with lots of different people from private equity, from from outside private equity. Given your experience now and in that process, what would you say is the biggest misconception about private equity? And what would you say has been the most valuable thing about private equity to you? And maybe they're the same, I don't know, but just interested in your thoughts. Well, the biggest misconception, we still deal with that now. We have, you know, 300 plus people in our global workforce and we communicate. We try to be uh, very, very, um, well, we are very open and transparent. We try to be very clear about how North Edge engages with the business every day and how they don't. But even with that, there are still the misconceptions that private equity come down and they try to create the leanest business possible, strip costs out, mm -hmm. because that somehow creates value and is going to create a, a bigger uh, value on exit. And that's just not the case. That, you know, many private equity uh, and a big strategy of all private is to invest and to build and to, and to grow. And certainly at different points during the journey, mm -hmm. right? If you look at a three to five year window and depending on the business and where it is when it's purchased and where it's trying to go, that investment window will change a little bit, maybe heavier sometimes. But the perception was by the broader company, the, the you know the, the the workforce here, and still is a little bit today that it's all around stripping out costs. Mm -hmm. Even as we continue to invest and add people, mm -hmm. that's directly impacting our bottom line because that's what we're trying to do right now is build for our future. They still have that, and people still have that misconception. When I talk to even friends and colleagues. And they understand that we're in a private equity relationship. They kind of go there a little bit. Oh, mm -hmm. so everything has to be lean. Everything has to be. And the other thing is that everything is driven from a spreadsheet. And the strategy for the company starts with a spreadsheet. 
and then you figure out a strategy to make sure. And, and, and I believe, and we operate this business with, with North Edge is that we come up with a strategy. We understand what we want to do. And then we make sure that funnels down to black numbers on a spreadsheet mm -hmm. um, or that achieves the goal, but it's not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And those are the two big misperceptions. And so why did you, why did you choose kind of private equity as the route when you were kind of bringing the business to market and why did you choose North Edge? What stood out about us? What made us different? Um, well, private equity first. Uh, I mentioned our agnosticism when it comes to our, our agnostic position when it comes to technology. It also was we're independent and the other options obviously are other kinds of investment, but the big one is trade and we mm -hmm. had a lot of interest from trade buyers, big agency networks, consultancies. You know, we compete against the Accentures of the world and we win against mm -hmm. them at times. Um, we do that because we're independent and certainly the big agency networks that independence is really important for us. So um, to go that route was just out of the question. Um, and I felt like three to five years, there, if we kind of look at our journey, I think there is three to five years, a three to five year chapter. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's another one after that. Beyond that, I haven't really thought about, mm -hmm. but at least for these next two. And so the private equity model made sense with where we are yeah. journey and wanting to kind of really carve out what we can achieve in the next three to five um, and then and be able to kind of ring fence that a little mm -hmm. bit or and you can do that with a with a private equity partner because that's what they're looking at too in terms of a time frame where how much value they want to create within that time frame mm -hmm. and north edge um a couple reasons one is um they didn't know much about our business and i like that because that automatically set us up to be able to not have to get the um maybe some unwanted input into our <laughs> business so people laugh and they say oh this you know when i look at north edge's portfolio they don't have a lot of and there are some there's certainly technology companies but yeah. in our space. Um, yeah. There's not much. And I said, yes, that is actually a good thing um, uh, for, for that reason. Um, I'm kidding a little bit, but I'm, I'm not. Uh, also, you know, North Edge, and, and by the way, North Edge has shown up this way in the 15 months or so since we did, um, 16 months now since we, we did the, the deal. Um, they're, uh, they back people and they back uh, a management team and a vision for a company and support that um, kind of ties to that first thing I said, not understanding our business kind of creates an inability to really try to drive the strategy. Um, but it is all around the people and the management team and the vision. And, and I, um, you asked what my proudest accomplishment was earlier and talked about patents. The other was when I actually got a, a group of people that investors that do this for a living um, to say, hey, we believe in you and mm -hmm. we're going to back you. And um, we think you're the, uh, you have a company and a vision and you're the guy to lead us on this. And so North Edge um, showed up as a people first uh, company that really would have let us run the business and support us with our vision. And how have we showed up since? How do you think we've showed up in in the 16 months is that have we been true to our word well times have been really good for us so i think it makes it a lot easier um uh but now overall yeah absolutely as 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 i would have hoped and as i would have expected i mean there are there are things that i've learned because this is my first experience with private equity that are really important to a private equity firm and probably to any investor um and we had grown so quickly 
And um, it was all about growth and growth and top line and top line and top line. And the foundations weren't as solid as they needed to be. That was right at the time. So at the beginning, there was a lot of attention around that. And mm -hmm. that kind of took a lot of my energy. I also learned a lot. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. I'm really how you build solid foundations in a business. Mm -hmm. um, because I am a, I am a marketer myself. I am a, you know, I'm a sales guy. I'm a delivery guy. I believe in the product and the solutions we're selling. And I, I, I have had to pay more attention, attention to those foundations. So there was a lot of rigor around that mm -hmm. that was required. We kind of met the, not only the expectation of, of North Ed, that's the wrong way to put it. We've hit the right level of foundation in place. Yeah. I'm trying to articulate this where everybody's kind of said, okay, the controls are there. We see everything. And so now the conversation shifted is. Yeah, okay, how do we now really invest and build and grow this business? Mm. And so um, North Edge has shown up as, as expected, with the exception of something I just didn't realize would be so important at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I understand it, and I'm actually um, grateful for the experience to uh, have to, had, had that much attention mm. paid on those foundations. Mm. And I, those foundations. Yeah, and I think you're right. Whilst people might not see kind of how ICP necessarily neatly sits. I don't think we see it in that way because we backed you and we backed a great business and a great team with a really clear vision and a really clear plan and one that we are very proud to to support. So I think that, you know, kind of the feeling is mutual in that space. Uh, I've taken up lots of your time. So we're going to move into the quick fire questions of, uh, of the podcast. First one is um, who has inspired you the most? throughout your career? I'm not going to answer that question with a, with a person. <laughs> okay. I'm going to answer that question with a group of people. And they're the people that have challenged me the most and asked me to look inward and reflect. And those, again, come from people in the organization today, um, my peers in the organization, um, the, the kind of the executive leadership team, and then people at all levels that, that question and challenge me. They inspire me the most. Mm -hmm. I appreciate their boldness, and I also, um, it gives me time to reflect, and usually they're right, I should be reflecting on this. Mm -hmm. So not a person, but a group of people. Nice. Um, what personal trait do you think has helped you succeed and get you to where you are today? Yeah. Um, again, shifted over time. It's, it's, it's the vulnerability and the empathy mm. for, for people. Mm. And really being able to, you're going to see a theme develop here, really, mm -hmm. really be able to, to, to reflect and surround myself with people that are, that are smarter than me. Uh, what is the best book you've ever read? This is a personal favorite question of mine. Well, it's the one that taught me a lot of the stuff I just talked about. It's um, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, that balance a classic. of courage and, and again, vulnerability but also having boldness and strength and empathy yeah. at the same time how that all balances out yeah and, uh, and being a leader in today's world right that's i think what Brene does so well yeah and I, i'll add you asked for one but i'll add one more um there's there's an author called uh his name is guy kawasaki he was at apple for a long time um he has a book called enchantment and it's all around creating enchantment with people that work in your business and your products. He was part of the Apple Macintosh launch in, in the 80s. And, and he's incredibly inspiring. And he just talks about bringing passion to everything you do and having excitement and creating enchantment like they did around the Mac in, in the 80s. Yeah. And, and the last one, which is another big one, but um, 
I think really helpful for people listening to this. Uh, what is uh, the best piece of advice you've ever received? And what piece of advice would you give to CEOs at the start of their journey? Yeah, the best piece of advice um, I've ever received came from somebody early in my career in, in retail. And that was, um, that was to be bold, to have courage, but also to be willing to fail. Mm-hmm. And, and when you do, just to learn from that and not dwell on it, but actually learn. And I think Elon Musk will tell you that after his rocket exploded last week, that that's <laughs> exactly was his plan. Um, and so that's always been the best advice is, is it's okay to fail and, and, and to be bold and put yourself in a position to fail. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not taking the right risks and moving the business or anything forward. Um, the advice I would give uh, goes back to... Um, theme we've had here today is surround yourself with people that challenge you that are smarter than you that can really make you better and encourage an open uh, and transparent um, culture mm. I will use that word now uh, and way of working in your organization where people feel they can use their voice because everybody grows when you get that diverse um, perspective brought in and when people are open to you and express how they feel and what's best and that can be strategically around the business it can be, you know, on, on a product you're developing. It can, it can go across mm-hmm. how you build some of those foundations we talk about. It doesn't matter. You want to encourage that and never shut down voice. doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean you have to action it. You may go a different direction, but you never want to stop that funnel of, of input yeah. from stopping and slow that process down. Christopher, thank you so much. You. Really appreciate your time yeah. today. If you'd like to listen to more insightful stories from the North Edge Network, you can search and subscribe to Beyond the Capital on any of your usual podcast platforms.